this morning, uh, as Pastor Jared preached on, we heard from Acts chapter 5 on how two different offerings were given to God, one from Barnabas and one from Ananias and Sapphira. And so tonight, I want us to look at a similar story from the Old Testament that, again, describes two offerings that were given to God, and one was accepted and one, again, was not. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 4, and this is the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So Genesis 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen?' If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And in verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden." I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, the story begins with one of many firsts. It says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So unlike Adam and Eve, who were directly created by God, Cain is the first human being to be born into the world. And in response to Cain's birth, Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So some scholars believe that this is is actually a proclamation of faith on Eve's part. And it's believed that maybe Eve was thinking of God's promise that was given in Genesis 3 when she said this. So if you remember in Genesis 3.15, God is pronouncing a curse on the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God's promise is that someone from Eve's offspring will essentially put an end to the serpent and his works. So, God's promise is that her offspring, someone would, would essentially kill the serpent, crush his head. So when Eve says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, 
It's possible that she was thinking back to that promise and believing that Cain would be the one to do that, the one to fulfill that promise and crush the head of the serpent and ultimately restore humanity back to the garden that they were banished from. But little did she know, and what we're going to see from this story is that Cain's life would only lead to further corruption of humanity. Well, in verse 2, we're told that Eve conceived again, and she gave birth to Cain's brother Abel. And it says that Abel was a keeper of sheep, while Cain was a worker of the ground. And I think we should recognize that both of those are noble professions. So a lot of the patriarchs were shepherds. But then also in Genesis 2.15, we know that God placed Adam in the garden and he commanded him to work the garden, to keep it. So it seems as though Cain followed in Adam's footsteps, his father's footsteps, while Abel became a shepherd. So then we're told in the course of time that both brothers brought an offering to the Lord. However, we're not told exactly how they knew to do that. Some have suggested that at some point earlier, God had communicated to them his desire for them to bring offerings. Others have said that this was simply an offering given in acknowledgement of God's provision. And so maybe Adam and Eve earlier had given offerings to God throughout their lives. And so their children, Cain and Abel, they followed their example and they're bringing an offering to God. So it's not clear how they knew to bring an offering, but nevertheless, their offerings were intended to be acts of worship. And that leads me to the first observation I want you to see from this passage, and that is the heart of worship. So if you're taking notes, this is the first point, the heart of worship. In verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So as a farmer, Cain's offering consisted of the fruit of the ground, maybe some sort of grain, And Abel, being a shepherd, brought an animal from his flock as an offering. And in verse 4, we're told that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, when it says that the Lord had regard, that Hebrew word can also be translated as looked favorably at or paid attention to. And it describes God's approval and acceptance of Abel's offering, but his rejection of Cain's. So the question is, why did God accept Abel's offering, but not Cain's? And that's kind of a difficult question for us to answer because it's not explicitly stated in the text. So scholars and theologians over time have suggested several possible reasons. And so I thought it would be helpful to share some of those reasons and think through them because each of them, I think, describes a different aspect of genuine worship. So... One answer that's been suggested involves the motives of the worshiper. And this is kind of what we talked about this morning in the sermon. So the motives of the worshiper. It's possible that Abel brought his offering with thankfulness to God, while Cain may have brought his offering with impure motives. So just like Ananias and Sapphira, like we saw this morning, maybe Cain's offering was given just to impress those around him. In the same way, Abel may have presented his offering in purity and holiness while Cain presented his with unrepentant sin. So as we saw this morning, Scripture teaches that God desires 
pure motives. He desires us to be righteous more than he desires just our offerings and what we can bring him. So Pastor Jared, he, he gave a lot of examples or a couple this morning, but I have another one, and this is found in Isaiah 1, verses 11 to 13, and it says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. God says, incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So in other words, worship is not just the outward actions of sacrifices and services, but worship has much more to do with our heart and our holiness. So God's rejection of Cain's offering may have been because of Cain's impure motives or his unrepentant sin. A second reason that's been given involves the nature of the offering. So Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice, whereas Cain brought a a grain offering. And for those who take this position, it's usually assumed that God had already specified that he wanted them to bring animal sacrifices. So by bringing a grain offering, Cain was essentially failing to do what God asked of him. He was being disobedient. And in the same way that Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves in the garden, Cain's offering is seen as the product of his own effort. So Abel's offering, on the other hand, would be like the covering of animal skins that God provided. It was given in obedience to God's word and in reliance upon God's grace. And so that reminds us that genuine worship involves acknowledging God's grace and his his mercy, what he's done for us. So we don't obey God in order to earn his love. We obey him because he first loved us, and true worship flows from that heart of gratitude. So it's possible with this second point that Abel's offering was in recognition of his own unworthiness, his own sin, while Cain brought an offering of his own human achievement, his own works. One more answer that's given involves the quality of the offering. So we saw the nature of the offering. Now let's think about the quality of the offering. So in other words, Abel offered the best of what he had, while Cain offered what was left over. And I personally find this reason to be the most compelling And that's because it says in verse 3 that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So with Cain's offering, there's no mention of first fruits. There's no mention of the best of the crops. But with Abel's offering, it says that he brings the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, which would have been the choicest part of the animal. So there seems to be a distinction by the author between the quality of the two offerings. And we see later in the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament that the firstborn of all animals belonged to God. And he said that they were to be offered as sacrifices to him. There's also times in the Old Testament where God commanded the Israelites to bring the first fruits of their harvest as an offering. And in both of these offerings, in both cases, they would have required faith. 
Think about there was no guarantee that your animal would continue to produce offspring. And there was no guarantee that there would be more crops after the first fruits. So this, in effect, was an invitation for Israel to put God first and to trust him to provide more animals and more crops. And so that's how God desires all of us to worship him. He wants our very best, whether it's our effort, whether it's our time, our money, our abilities. True worship means being generous in every way because everything ultimately belongs to God and we know how generous he's been to us. So while we're not told exactly why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's, I think it's safe to say that it had to do with worship. And ultimately, we see that Cain's offering was not an act of genuine worship. Well, that leads to the second observation that I want you to see, and that is the hardening effects of sin. So Cain's sin, at least in this story, began with his failure to worship God properly, and it resulted in God not accepting his offering. And I want you to think about this, that God's disapproval was also an opportunity for Cain to repent. But instead, we see the hardening effects of sin in verse 5, where we're told that Cain was very angry and his face fell. So he was angry with God for not accepting his offering, and I'm sure he was angry and jealous with Abel because we know that Abel was righteous and Cain resented him for that. But notice how God responds to Cain. He says, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, most commentaries, if, if you read on, on this passage, most commentaries will tell you that verse 7 is one of the most difficult verses to translate in all of Genesis, possibly the whole Bible. And it's because of the unusual grammar and the sentence structure. But without getting into that, without, as Jared would say, throwing down the the sloppy Joe and having to clean it up, I want you to know that most English translations agree on the interpretation of this verse. So we're just going to stick with it. And essentially what God is saying is that if you do what's right, you'll be accepted and restored. But if you don't do what's right, He says that sin is like this wild animal that's ready to attack and overpower you. So this is both a warning of the dangers of sin and an invitation for Cain to repent and be restored. But again, instead of repenting, Cain rejects God's word and his heart is only further hardened. And that's where we come to verse 8, which says, Cain spoke to Abel his brother And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain's heart had become so hardened by sin that he commits the first murder in all of Scripture. And think about the fact that he killed Abel while they were in the field where no one could see, no one could help if he cried out. All of that is evidence that this was planned out, that this was premeditated. So then in verse 9, God approaches Cain yet again, and he says, where is Abel, your brother? And this is similar to how God came to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden, and he asked, where are you? And if you remember, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
So there, Adam was at least truthful in his answer, even if he didn't tell the whole truth. But here, when Cain is asked where Abel is, his response is a bold-faced lie. He says, I don't know. And not only does he lie to God, but then he sarcastically says, am I my brother's keeper? So his response reveals that he's unrepentant, and it's clear that he's allowed sin to overpower him and to rule his life. So because of his sin, God pronounces a curse on Cain, and starting in verse 10, it says, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. So Cain might have assumed that his murder of Abel was done in secret. But this this tells us that God knew it the whole time. It wasn't hidden from God. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And whereas Adam and Eve in the garden, they were removed because of their sin from the Garden of Eden... Here we learn that Cain's curse implies an even further removal and implies an even further removal from Eden. And just as Adam was told that the ground would be cursed, Cain's curse is even more emphatic that the ground would be even more difficult to work and to produce crop. And think about that would have been devastating for someone like Cain who was a worker of the ground. He was a farmer. So I want you to notice this one final thing, uh, about the hardening effects of sin, and that is that throughout this story, Cain only becomes more and more self-centered. So instead of realizing how his sin has affected others, he only continues to think more and more of himself. Notice how many times we see the words I or my or me in verses 13 and 14. It says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So Cain's only concern here is for himself. And notice even at the end of of those verses, he's afraid that someone's going to kill him, and yet he shows no remorse for what he's done to his brother, the fact that he's murdered his own brother. So I want you to consider the effects of Cain's sin. His sin resulted in anger, murder, broken relationships with his family, obviously a broken relationship with God, loneliness, fear, and self-centeredness. And that tells us that sin only leads to pain and suffering and ultimately destruction of our lives. That's why God describes it as this wild beast that is crouching, waiting to attack us and overpower us. So this is a reminder in this story to all of us of how dangerous it can be to harden our hearts to sin and to live with unrepentant sin. And so that leads to the third and final observation that I want you to see from the story, and that is, and it's ending on a a more happy note, that is the hope of mercy. So this morning we saw how in the, in the New Testament, God is not only a God of love and grace, as some people say. We saw that from the story of Ananias and Sapphira. 
Well, I think in the same way we see from this story tonight that in the Old Testament, God is not only a God of wrath and judgment. I wonder if you noticed how many times God has shown mercy to Cain already in the story. After his offering is not accepted, Cain becomes very angry, his face is fallen, but instead of punishing him like he deserves, it says that God comes to him like a loving father, and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? You see, God desires Cain to repent, to be restored, and he lovingly warns Cain of the danger of sin. And then even after Cain kills Abel, after he murders his brother, God comes to him again and says, where's your brother? Obviously, God knows the answer to that question, but again, he desires that Cain would confess his sin and repent. Well, finally, at the end of the story, these last few verses, Cain is complaining that his punishment is too harsh, and he's afraid that he's going to be killed. And once again, we see God's mercy to Cain. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So we see in these last few verses that God promises even to Cain, a murderer, he promises to avenge anyone who kills him, And he puts a mark on Cain so that he would be protected from further harm. But here's what I want you to see with this last point. That if God can be merciful to an unrepentant murderer, how much more will he be merciful to those of us who repent and trust in him? And I think that's what the author of Hebrews in the New Testament writes about when he says in Hebrews 12, 24, that we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying that Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, but Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. And the greatest display of God's mercy is seen at the cross, where Jesus died for sinners like us. So I wanted to end by reading a quote that I read this week from an author named Jackson Gravitt. And he's writing about this connection between Genesis 4 and that verse in Hebrews 12. He says, in Genesis 4, even though Abel's blood calls for vengeance from the ground, God still shows mercy to Cain. The author of Hebrews later picks up on this, teaching that Jesus' sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If God is willing to show Cain mercy when Abel's blood cries out for revenge, how much more must he be willing to show us mercy when Jesus' blood calls out for forgiveness? By our sin, we, like Cain, have struck down our brother, Jesus. Yet Christ came precisely for that purpose, to be crushed for us and for our salvation. He is the true seed of the woman who has crushed the serpent's head. It wasn't Cain. And now all sinners are invited to come to him with great joy. So I hope you see from this story of Cain and Abel, the heart of worship, the hardening effects of sin, and the hope of mercy. Let's pray.